Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. about money, he's not talking about money. When Darren laid out those statistics uh, for you, uh, and, and, and you need to kind of, if you can kind of pull back through that, Jesus talked about money almost more than he talked about anything else by an order of magnitude other than the kingdom of God. Why? Because money's not the issue. It's what money represents that's the issue. That is materialism, the God of the age, the belief that we are what we make of ourselves, the belief that we are primarily material beings having spiritual experiences rather than the kingdom of God, spiritual beings having material experiences, and, and we are we are anchored in our souls by what we do with our financial resources. How many of you recognize that it's possible to be bound spiritually because of what you do with finances? Money and sex top two reasons people cite for divorce. So we're talking about that. And then we're going to start a new series in December on the Gospel of Luke moving into the Book of Acts. And we're going to talk about power and the nature of power and how it's used and how it's misused and how it's built to be used appropriately. You're built for power. You're built to exercise responsible use of that. Uh, and so we want to, want to uh, 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 lead into this, into this idea about money to talk about um, not just Giving, although we'll talk about that because it's one of the primary ways that Jesus instructs us to push back against the spirit of the age that controls us by getting. Right? He says the best way to push back about that is to loosen your grip on what has a grip on you. The problem with the rich young ruler, the story of which you may recognize, was not that the guy was wealthy. It's not that he had money. It's that money had him. And in order to be able to follow Jesus, he had to let go of that which had grabbed hold of him and become like a child, not in innocence, not in trusting, but in emptiness. Children in that culture had nothing. That's why they moved away of the king. Children in that culture were nothing. That's why they lead the way of the king. The markers of value that were 
present in that culture are the same markers of value that are present in our. We think that people who have wealth are thereby somehow more blessed with God or more um, to be followed than those who do not. Not, not necessarily so. Now, I, I need to say this. I, really, I love that. I really do. But we're going to talk about wealth as well. God is not opposed to you having fabulous sums of money in your bank account. He's really not. And in fact, the whole Old Testament is built upon an understanding that God will bless, will financially bless people who are responsible stewards. Sometimes. He doesn't always do that. And it's not the only mark of his blessing. But I believe that in the garden, we have a community of people, some of whom have the ability over your lifetime to make a lot of money. The question I want to put before you in a couple of weeks is what are you going to do with it for the glory of God? And please don't assume that that means the intent is always to give it away. Sometimes that's the least responsible thing you can do with what God has blessed you with. So I want to talk about how do we manage the wealth that God puts in our hands. I want to talk about that and ask you to think with me about that. All right. So that's what we'll be in a couple of weeks. But I do want to talk about uh, issues of stewardship. I do realize, as Jesus does, I think um, that this is a principalities and powers issue. That it is a spiritual battle that we deal with. I realize that in talking about this in terms of just following the series on sexuality, that, that more marriages struggle over those two topics than on any, any other topic. Right? We talk about failure to communicate, but what is it that we fail to communicate about? The fact that men and women have different understandings of what money does and is and how it works itself out and what that, what that means in marriage. But it also applies to how it works. works. Money issues are principalities and powers issues even when it comes to single men and women. In fact, uh, many of you have more disposable income than many of the married couples that we have. Now, what do you do with that? What does it mean to be a good steward of the little that you have? Because the truth is, if you're not a good steward of the little that you have, you won't be a good steward when you have more. So we, we, it, the point being, it's not money. It's a heart issue. Uh, which is, of course, what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about reality. All right? So we want to push into that because the goal here is to become people that God can trust. And I want to underline that. The goal here is to become people that God can trust. To empower, to do whatever they want. Does that make sense? God wants you to be his representatives, to be his image, to be his ambassadors. He doesn't want to have to tell you what to do all the time. The more mature you get, the less directive God will be. Why? Because he can trust you. He knows you have capacity to make good and wise decisions. That is one of the reasons why I think the enemy pushes harder on materialism than he does on almost anything else. Because it's one of the primary ways we get disconnected from our orientation to God. So, that, that said, Jesus talks so much about money because it's a marker of value. 
It's a, it's a gauge of heart focus. So it becomes a way of measuring trustworthiness. In fact, one of the stories that Jesus tells us in, in Luke suggests to us if we can't be trusted with financial resources, which really in the long term in the kingdom of heaven don't amount to very much, why should we be trusted with the great wealth of the kingdom, which has nothing to do with money? So this is, this is why we're pushing into this. Uh, and I'd like to uh, begin this just by talking about the fact that we're built to worship. And we're built to worship primarily by giving. So let's look with, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter uh, 1, uh, verse 26 through 31. It's a passage that we go back to over and over and over again because it's the book of beginnings. Everything starts here. So uh, Genesis chapter 1 says this, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image. In our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food to all the beasts of the earth, to all the birds of the air, all the creatures that move on the ground. Everything that has life of breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Underlining that word very good just at the tail end, that's a Hebrew concept that means it works. It's not a moral category, good versus bad. It's just a descriptor of the reality of a functioning universe. This will work. And please notice, for us as the image of God then, the first words that we hear, so to speak, out of the mouth of God when he creates us to be his image is what? I will give you. Don't you think that that implies that if we're going to be the image of God, giving is going to be a fundamental part of what it means for us to be the image of God? It's not an afterthought. It's the first thing we hear from God. I will give. And his giving enables us to be, and then also as his image, to give. So uh, the image of God is marked by giving. God is a giver. His image is a giver. In fact, if you follow the story along in Genesis chapter 4, we see the two brothers, Cain and Abel, bringing a sacrifice, bringing a response to God's graciousness. There's no indicator in the text of anything prior to the, no instruction, no, no teaching on it. They just come. Why? Because giving is as natural as breathing for those who are created to be the image of God. Even when it's damaged, even when it's broken, even when it's flawed. We have to be trained out of generosity. It is as natural to us as breathing is to be a giver. So when we are not giving, when we are not generous, it is because it has been trained out of us and we have moved away from what it means for us to be the image of God. Because it's natural for us as His image to give. To give towards God, it orients us to Him in dependent thanks. 
And the less, for, for, the, 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 the further we are away from our self-understanding as his image, the less generous we will be. Why? Because the more anxious we will be. Why? Because we have forgotten who we are. If it depends on me, if I don't understand myself as the object of his affection, then it's up to me. I'm responsible for everything about me. Do you see where, where this is going? If I don't know that I have a father who knows what I need before I ask, it's up to me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to acquire, I'm going to grab, I'm going to bring in. Because I'm the only one responsible for me. I've forgotten who I am as the object of his affection. I've forgotten who I am as his image. And I do, so what do I need to do? How did God push back against this creeping misunderstanding of identity? So we're going to look at one passage that's very representative of a whole bunch of them. It's Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, this, as you probably will figure out, is representative of tons of them that I could have looked at. But look at what it says. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, hides of sea cows, uh, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. Now, what is God doing here? Is he building himself a house? All you've got to think about that is for about 20 seconds. And you go, uh, no, whatever house is built, God doesn't live there. It's not a place for God to dwell. It's a place for us to meet with Him. So what is He doing here? God establishes and maintains, sets up in this text, and there are many of them like that, the systems, the structures, and I call the staff of worship. The places of meeting. He says it's worth this regular opportunity to recalibrate your souls from the material world in which you live, that it is important enough that I'm going to ask for people, I'm going to ask for your financial resources, and I'm going to ask you to show up. And in fact, if we go down this, one tribe of the, tri- of the, of the people of Israel, the Levites, were set aside. They couldn't own any property, their sole job was to keep the rest of the community attentive to the things of God. To teach them the songs. To, to create environments for them to come and bring their souls before the Lord. Right? That was their task. And here you see a, a preliminary setup of this as it moves forward. A, a minimum of 10% of the, of the income ranging as high as 30 to 35% of the income is to be given for one purpose and one purpose only, to pay the Levites to help us pay attention to what's important. Do you think God thinks this matters? 
I want a tenth of your people and a tenth of your money. Why? Because you get out of alignment so easily in the world that you live in. How many... You, you, I mean, you drive the car out of the alignment shop and hit a curb and you're, you're out of alignment. Doesn't that happen with church? You're here. We've brought into alignment with worship. We've brought into alignment with the Word. We remember who we are. There is a, a vestigial reminder of the core identity that we were built for. We recognize, we resonate, we look at each other and recognize the face of the Father in each other. We know that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us, who cares about us. And then Monday morning we walk into work and we get a pink slip. Or we go into our cubicle and our, our, and our, our cubicle mate is dealing with cancer. Or we, or, 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 or we get a report home from one of our kids at school. He's gone off the rails somewhere. Or, 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 fill in the blanks. Everybody's story is unique and different. We have gotten out of alignment. We need a regular reminder that is valuable to us who God is in the middle of the mess that we live in. Otherwise, we're going to be running around like everybody else, like our hair's on fire. Right? We're going to have to. We, worship is about talking you down off the ledge of your week. Now, how many know what I'm talking about? Right? Because life happens and then you die. Right? So you want to be oriented. You want to, you, you, want to, you, you want to be recalibrated with what matters. Because everybody else, every time you, you, you download Netflix, every time you look at the TV, every time you read the newspaper, every time you watch a movie, every time you listen to the music, what is the message? Material, 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 material in any one of a number of forms. Almost inevitably, the onslaught, the pressure to conform is not spiritual life-giving, it's material death-dealing. Where else but here, or in a place of worship that you may feel more comfortable with at some other point where they're not talking about stuff like this, can you get recalibrated as a reminder of the great, almighty, powerful God whom you serve? Who longs to draw you to his, his, his chest and hold you and let you rest and recalibrate your soul in him. Where else can a song with your name on it carry you on a Sunday morning? Where else can you be reminded that you have a heavenly father who knows what you need before you ask? Where else are you going to find what happens except in worship. This subset of this, this is the part that I love. If we were to follow the story on a little bit further, you would discover that God uses this same mechanism to pay artists, songwriters, poets, sculptors, craftsmen and women, textile artists, Painters, people who work in mosaics. Why does he do that? Jewelers and artisans of all kind. Why does he do that? Because beauty is also part of worship. And it will be co-opted by the enemy for his purposes if we don't take that land back. 
This is not just for what happens in here, friends. This is not just for what happens as the people of God gather together. This is for the world who desperately needs a vision of beauty that has not been co-opted by materialism. We need somebody to paint a new Sistine Chapel. We need somebody to sculpt a new David. We need somebody to do a new portraiture, a muralist. Somebody with the heart of the kingdom of God at the center of his or her being who can, who, can, who can preach without using the words, but using the brush strokes, using their hands in the clay. I love the project that our worship leaders have got, to, to uh, the psalm project. We need people to write songs. Not just songs for happy, but songs for sad. Because sometimes that's the song we have to bring, yeah? There's 85 angry, frustrated, upset, disappointed songs. Of the 150, 85 of them are in a minor key. Why? Because your pain is also your worship. Your frustration is also your worship. Your disappointment is also what you bring. That's why you bring it. You get it recalibrated. And I just want to say, can I just say this out loud? I'm really grateful for our worship leaders, for Pete, and taking the time with Brent and the other guys to work hard on their arrangements and, and work hard on their rehearsals. I wish, I wish, I wish we had resources to compensate them appropriately for the gifts they allow us to bring to the Father. I mean, can I just say thank you for what we're already doing? If, if, you, if you were not here for the first song this morning, you missed the whole worship service. I mean, when Brett started to kick in, on, oh, Jesus, I'm going to be there today. Yeah? Huh? Yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember. I don't know. The, who's, who's playing the piano? Where is it? Kyle? Holy cow, man. Gee whiz. This is wonderful. Now, now that doesn't just happen. That doesn't just happen. It's gifts and talent and a boatload of hard work for a long time. And somebody writing some songs that carry the weight of our heart. Now, now why does God think that's important? So Pete has a salary and Sarah Britt and don't, they don't starve? Really? No. They're, they're, I'm, they're grateful. They're appreciative. But that's not what that's about. It's so that they can be free as a community. We can be free. You can have somebody like Darren stand up on a regular. I'm being very personal on this, but I need you to make the connection between what God has instituted back in that. Why? Because it still matters. It matters as much now as it ever has. The systems of decalibration are as strong now as they have ever been. The systems of misalignment are as strong as they have ever been. The necessity of setting apart people and resources to help us remember who God is so we remember who we are are more needed now than they've ever been before. I need to say something on this. This is one of the reasons why it's so tragic 
that the average American household lives on 102% of its income. What's the 2%? You know what it is. It's credit cards. Because sitting here, some of you are saying, I realized I've been riding on somebody else's dime. And I don't want you to feel shame. Because there's no, that's not what I'm after. I want you to hear the pull of the heart of God for you. That whether through this financial peace or through a, a, a renewed commitment to, 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 to budgeting or whatever it is, that you begin to push in to the freedom that is available that he's after here. This isn't about onerous control and rigidity. This is about freedom. And he invites us into it. When we worship, we remember who God is and in who we are. So, when we don't take God seriously on this, our worship inevitably begins to drift and we slide towards what our use of money says we value. And that's why Jesus talks so much about it. Um, I want to give you a balancing perspective on this to help you get how if I can possibly, liberating it is when we finally get what God is up to here. Let's go to Deuteronomy. I've used this text before with you, um, but I want to look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields produce every year. What's that called? That's the tithe, right? Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine. What? Eat the tithe. Does it say that? Huh. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if the place that the Lord has set his name is too distant, you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is too far away, well then trade your tithe in for money. And take the money with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. And then use that money to buy whatever you want. Cattle, sheep, wine, other fermented drink, anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And don't forget the preacher. (laughs) What's he saying? God doesn't need your money. He wants you to experience a life of outrageous liberation because that's what produces outrageous generosity. So what is he doing here? Once a year, take your tithe and have a good time. That's literally is is what he's saying. Now that's within a system of stewardship. It's within a system of the supports that we laid out here. But God wants his people to understand this isn't about you paying somebody to do something. This is about you recognizing and shaming the devil by the use of resources that he has got his mud hooks on that you are going to liberate for the glory of God by having a good time out in the town with people you love and care about. And don't forget the preacher. 
Does this make sense to you? Because if, if you don't get this one, then the other one will become onerous and burdensome and difficult. It'll become another obligation, another duty, another law. But if you get this, God is inviting you to the dance. He's inviting you to the party of freedom and liberty. When you remember who he is, you remember who you are. God doesn't need our resources. He is happy for us to enjoy, to celebrate his good gifts. Because that will free up more and more and more resources for life. How's that feel? How many want just the third slide and, and we'll... Let's work backwards. Let's work backwards. Start somewhere for God's sake and yours. So what happens when we give? What happens when we give? We align with the heart of God who is himself a giver. We realign with our identity as the image of God. And we support in agreement God's systems of supply and sufficiency. Because this is a principalities and powers issue, because we live and so much of the spirit of the age pushes in to reframe all of this, I want you just to take a minute as we conclude this morning and sit. Listen. Put your, put, put, put your hands down. Put your heads uh, down for just a minute. Close your eyes and let's just listen. What is the Spirit of God inviting you to? We're going to spend some time in worship. We're going to give this morning in response, not reaction, in response to the sermon, response to the Word. But where are you out of alignment today? Where have you forgotten who God is and who you are? I want you just to sit in, in stillness and listen to God's heart of love for you. Not shame, not condemnation, not judgment. Just listen. What is He inviting you into? What is He inviting you into? Let the Holy Spirit identify the resistances that you already feel welling up. Offer those up too. Oh God, we want to be free more than anything else. Free both to give and to receive. Lord, we don't want to forget. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.